All right, those who are four to six, you can go to your class at this time. I'd like to thank those who decorated our auditorium and lobby. We know it wasn't elves at night, but uh, it wasn't here last week, and it's here this week, so thank you. Thank you, ladies, for doing that for us. If you want to hold your hand in Romans 6 and go back to Luke 2. I'm going to start our, with a story from the Christmas story. The Christmas story uh, never gets old as we read it, and I heard this week during the Christmas season when you don't sing songs for 11 months and you only sing them for one month. When you hear them for the first time after 11 months off, uh, certain things strike you. So I was listening to Joy to the World, The Lord Has Come. Let earth receive her king. That struck me. Earth receiving her king. This Christmas season, the world goes about as if there is no king but self. And we must find and pamper, find gifts for people whose worship of their selves will be enhanced by our giving them gifts. However, Christmas is not about self. Christmas is about the king. Earth didn't receive the king the first time he came. Earth's going to be forced to receive the king the second time he comes. But in the meantime, we live in this between these two comings of the king. And if everyone on earth rejects the king and tries not to think about Jesus as the king, we as Jesus followers are not among them. We are so glad he's the king. And we are so glad that he came. And we want to receive him. And Christmas isn't just a season, isn't just a day. We are all, always thinking about that who is he in yonder stall? Actually, the, only the first stanza is Christmas. The rest of the other three stanzas are life and his resurrection. He is king. We sang about it this morning. And the angels, that first Christmas, provoked the shepherds to worship. So let's read in Luke 2, in the same re verse 8, Luke 2, 8, in the, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, the night Jesus is born, heaven sends a messenger and the very first thing he says is, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. And who is that Savior? He is Christ the Lord. Now let's go back to Romans 6. And I'll show you why I picked that as our introduction. 
in Romans 6, you'll see references to Jesus. Jesus is His name that you would call Him, His brothers called Him, His parents called Him, His disciples uh, likely called Him, people around called Him Jesus of Nazareth. So that was His, we would say, God-given name. But He had several titles. Matthew 1 tells us about the title of Emmanuel, which means God with us, but that wasn't what people would call Him, Emmanuel. It was a title. Christ and Lord are also titles that people didn't likely call Jesus when He was on earth, but the New Testament written after Jesus ascended back to heaven looks back at the life of Christ, and I just said it, I just called Him Christ. We often call Jesus Christ, but that's how the angels, the angel introduced Him to the shepherds the very first night. He is Christ the Lord. See, if you were living in the days that Jesus is born, there had been 400 years where God was silent. No revelation. You were longing for, as we saw in Isaiah 64, you're longing for God to come. You're longing for Him to come and set things right. And when the angel comes and calls Jesus Christ the Lord. He is the fulfillment of those 300 plus prophecies in the Old Testament, and his time to arrive has come. You will see in Romans 6, the primary title for Jesus is Christ. And we have on our last couple slides that we've had uh, introduction uh, the first slide, in Christ, uh, last week we saw we are free from sin. This week, in Christ, we are alive to God. Why does the New Testament call Jesus often Christ? What does it mean that He is Christ the Lord? Christ means anointed or Messiah. It is the exact same word the he- in Hebrew as Messiah. Messiah is the Hebrew word and Christ is Greek for the same exact um, title, which means the anointed one. So, who in the Old Testament was anointed? Because Christ is the anointed one. Psalm 2 says, again, the, the world stands in opposition to the Lord and His anointed. So, who was anointed on a regular basis? If you look back through your Old Testament, you'll see two categories of people were anointed. Priests, the high priests, were anointed, and regular priests were anointed, consecrated to service, and then kings. Kings and priests, anointed. Jesus is going to fulfill both of those roles as the perfect priest and the perfect king. He's not just Christ, though. He is Christ the Lord. He's master. We'll see that word kind of hidden a little bit in our text this morning, but I'll show you where it's at and and explain why it's here. So, Romans chapter 6 is progressing, and it asks the question and gives us a long answer to the question back in verse 1, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? What would 1 John say? You studied 1 John. If we love Him, we do what? Obey His commandments. 
We obey Christ. And now, we cannot continue in sin that grace may abound. Why can't we continue in sin? Because we are united with Christ in a death like His, we're united in a resurrection like His, so that we could walk in newness of life. That newness is newness in time. At the moment of our salvation, we have new life. We are placed in Christ, immersed in Christ. That's one to four. In verses five to seven, we saw last week, what does that mean? We're in Christ. We are united in a death like His, which means what? We are free from sin. That's verse 7. Now verses 8 through 11. On the opposite side of being free from sin, we are not free from God. We are uh, alive to God. Dead to sin, alive to God. If someone's dating someone and they realize this is not good, I should not be dating this person. They may have a conversation that says something along the lines of, you know what, we're done dating. Can we just be friends? No, probably not. It's going to be really awkward if we're still kind of hold on to, oh, let's say friends and maybe it'll work out. But at least one, maybe both, come to the realization, this is not going to work out. This is not God's will. And so, you know what, you might not say this unless you have to get this direct, but you are dead to me. Or you're thinking that. My wife is very glad that all of my former girlfriends, I'm completely dead to them. I don't follow them on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. I don't keep connecting with them. I don't hope to see them at holidays or when I go back to Pennsylvania or anywhere else that they live. Um, I have no idea where they're at, what they're doing, and I'm fine with that. You know why? Because I'm alive to her. I'm dead to all the other girlfriends, and that's how it should be. And here it is, even more stark of a contrast, is those girlfriends aren't my enemy, right? But sin is our enemy. Why? Because because of sin, we die. James has told us that. Sin, when it's finished with us, brings forth death. Why do we want to hold on to our sin? Why do we want to continue in sin? Absolutely not. We do not want to continue in sin. And because we are free from sin, and we are free from sin so that we can be attached to, in union with our God and our Savior, and here He is called Christ. You see, His uh, let's just go back to Romans 6, um, and we're just going to scan down through and see the mentions of Christ. He is called Christ Jesus in verse 3. He is called simply Christ in verse 4. Um, he is called Christ in verse 8 and 9, and Christ Jesus in verse 11. Anytime you see Christ Jesus first, the emphasis is on the first Christ who is Jesus. So, we're getting here that we are united with Christ, our perfect priest and our perfect king. This is very important because because we are in Christ, we're dead to sin. But today, because we're in Christ, we are 
alive to God. So let's look at verse 8. We read it. Now let's look at it carefully. Now, if we have died with Christ, that was the emphasis of verses 5 to 7, but not the emphasis here. This is a very positive emphasis in this section. The positive side of being died, dead, to Christ, dead to sin and alive to God, we're in Christ. What does this mean? We believe that we will also live with Him. The focus of Romans 6 as a whole is not negative, but positive. Actually, very positive. Christ, the Anointed One, our Messiah, is our chosen leader by the Father. Our position in Him means our salvation is secure. How do we know our salvation is secure? Because of Romans 5. And our salvation is progressing us toward a new kind of life that started when God put us in Christ, and this is Romans 6 to 8. This life is marked by Christ-like holiness, which we have seen as we've studied the New Testament in Sunday school. We need this passage because false religions around us deceive us most with a false Jesus. So, I'm going to show you a slide and an image on this slide. If you go to churches and they have at where our screen is, they have an extremely dominant image. This image looks something like what you see here. I put a red X on it, okay, because I don't want us to think this is not like, why don't we have Jesus on the cross behind me? If you go to many churches, though, He is on the back wall. He is on, as you're looking, He's on the front wall. And I have watched um, many people come in a back door and they bow to the image. They maybe cross themselves to the image, and unfortunately, this image does not represent Jesus. It's a false Jesus. How do we know? Because Jesus in the New Testament does not want us to imagine Him on a cross. You say, what? So, Romans 6 doesn't have us just united with His death. We're united in His death so that we're leading somewhere. We are ultimately united with His resurrection. You get Jesus wrong. This Jesus on the cross, this Jesus on a cross that people bow to, pray to, try to re-crucify in performing a Mass, does not give you grace from God, as is supposed. How do we get grace from God? Not by getting a little wafer or juice. Not by bowing to an image. Not by crossing yourself. That's not how you get grace from God. How do we get grace from God? Romans 4, faith alone, in Christ alone. And God does not want us to gather as His people and worship with an image that helps us to worship or helps us to connect to 
what we think is God. See, this Jesus on this cross cannot provide full salvation. This Jesus represents to many progressive salvation, whereas your salvation is worked out over and over again, and you get to purgatory, and then you get purged more of your sins. That's not salvation. That's a different Jesus and a different gospel. This is a false religion. Catholicism is not Christianity. It does not matter if they say they're Christian. If they have not turned from their sin and trusted Christ alone, they are not believers. And as we cannot put up images, it also breaks the second commandment, of which Catholicism skips over the second commandment, don't make any graven image or any likeness of anything in heaven on earth to represent God, okay? So we don't have images in our sanctuary where we worship God, our auditorium. Um, it's very different than other religions that have images everywhere. If you focus on a false Jesus, there's no salvation. And if there's no salvation, sure salvation that we learned about in 1 John 5.13. If you don't have salvation, then you have no secure position. You're left with a very insecure position. So when you ask people who are trusting in a false Jesus who don't have salvation, when you die, are you going to stand before God? Is He going to let you into heaven? And many say, I hope so. I think. I, I feel like I might get there. And we as believers, because we are in Christ, we don't have to wish or hope or maybe we know. We know that we have eternal life because we are in Christ. We don't serve a false Jesus. We don't serve the traditions that are passed down from hundreds and hundreds of years. And those traditions dominate, are more important, they trump Scripture. Scripture dominates and trumps tradition. And so in Scripture, Christianity is assured by God's Word and by God's Word alone. Christianity focuses our position, not just with Christ's death. We remember Christ's death. We visually see or symbolize Christ's death with our communion and with baptism. But we don't have a large image that we bow to or expect to get some grace from God. We do not crucify Jesus again and again and again and again. We focus not just on Jesus' death, but also with His resurrection. See, His resurrection is the focal point of Romans 6, 8 to 11. And if we merely focus on a false Jesus or just on His cross, the cross does not give us hope of eternal life. Because the cross leads to a tomb, but the tomb is empty, and the empty tomb 
is what we as believers focus on. Because in Christ's death, it is merely a stepping stone, merely one step toward His resurrection. And we are united in a death like His, but we are also united in a resurrection like His. Verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. How do we know that we will live with Him? So, we'll have two, and if you look at verses 8 and 11, it's kind of like a sandwich here. It focuses on us, and verses 9 and 10 focuses on Christ, okay? So, we have uh, us, what we are, the focus is us because we are the subject of the sentence here. We have died with Christ. We believe that we will also live with Him. You see the word we there? Three times. So, what is this telling us about ourselves? We have a sure future resurrection. We have died. When did we die? We died with Christ at the moment of our salvation. We are immersed into Christ. We're placed into Christ. Christ surrounds us. And if we have died with Him, we believe that we will also live with Him. And live is not past tense, like died is past. It happened one time. Live with Him is present tense. It's ongoing. It's continuous. And you'll see this over and over again in this passage. So, our sure future resurrection is based on we have died with Christ. Then we trust. We have faith in, faith is chapter 4, that we will also live with Him. The surety, the certainty of our union with His death is directly linked to His resurrection. And notice in verse 8 the timing of this. When do we live with Him? We believe that we will also live with Him. Will is a future. We will live with Him. Do you believe that you've died with Christ? Well, that's what faith is, right? We believe that we died with Christ. And do you believe that you will live forever? with Christ, because you are in Christ. That is a sure, that's a future resurrection that false religions cannot promise, that Scripture, according to Romans 6, definitely does promise. Our union with Christ means we're buried with Him, yes, but we are raised with Him. Verse 9. Now, verse 8 focuses on us our sure future resurrection, but for verses 9 and 10 focuses on Christ. Let's see what we can learn about Christ in verse 9. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. All right, so this verse is all about Christ. We know some things, but we know these things about Christ. So, what is it we're learning about Christ in verse 9? Christ being raised from the dead. Raised happened one time. It's past tense. One-time event, Christ rose from the dead, and He, future, will never die again. There is a guy, I showed you his picture, it has websites trying to kill Jesus, and if Jesus comes back, we're going to kill Him again. He lives a very sad life according to his websites that I looked at this week, and I didn't spend a lot of time. 
he's going out trying to get more and more people to try to kill Jesus with him, kill this idea of Jesus. You can try to kill the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And there will be many in Revelation 19 in particular that try to kill Jesus. No one's going to touch him. He is going to kill billions of people at one time. No one's touching Jesus again. Why? Because he is the Almighty. Our position in Christ is secure because of what Jesus accomplished. And what he is accomplishing is something that we have to know. We have to know certain things, and we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. So what if the world gets all of their nuclear warheads and and focus them on Jesus when he comes back? They're not going to touch him. So how is he going to deflect all those? He's God. All he does is have to say the word, and the earth is gone. Everyone on the earth stops breathing, and their heart stops. Instantly, if God, the Son, Jesus Christ, the Anointed One, says the word. He spoke, and things came into existence. He can speak, and they will be out of existence. It's not hard for Him. So, how are we alive to God because of Christ? Verse 9 says, He is our sure victory. What is He victorious over in verse 9? He is raised from the dead. He will never die again. And He has conquered death. Death no longer has dominion over Him. Christ, since Christ is raised, He is never going to die again. And since He is never going to die again, death no longer has, and another translation says, mastery or master over Him. This is the word where we get our word, Lord. Lord is curios. This is the verb of that same word, Lord. Jesus is Christ the Lord, the angel said. To the shepherds. He is Lord over heaven and earth. He is Lord of all time. Death temporarily was a master over Jesus. Why? Because John 5 says he laid down his life. He allowed death to be master over him for a very brief amount of time. And he was even in control of that. Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. He wasn't a sinner. He laid it down. And he laid it down. He said, if I lay it down, I can take it up again. And he does. And who, what does Jesus have sure victory over? You see it three times in verse 9. Dead. Never die. Death. And then verse 10, death again. He has sure victory over death. Death no longer has the mastery, is no longer master over Jesus. Death's dominion, mastery over, is done because of Christ. When Christ rose 
from the dead. And he says, I will never die again. And we are in him. We have, we can be alive to God because Christ surely, completely, finally conquered death. Now verse 10, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. What does that once for all mean? Well, hold your hand here and let's go to Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7 also uses the same phrase, and it gives us a little more context to help us determine. I think there's two options here. Is it once for all time or once for all people? Okay, Christ died once. Is it for all time or is it for all people? Okay, so is it about a time reference or is it about everyone? Okay, so I think Hebrews 7 uh, verse 27 helps clarify, is it time or is it people? Once for all time or once for all people? All right, Hebrews 7, we'll pick it up in verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy and innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for all for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered himself up himself. The priests, the high priests are offering sacrifices how often? Daily. So what do we think once for all people or once for all time? It's probably time. All right, so what is, what is verse, go back to Romans 6 now, verse 10. What is verse 10 teaching us about us being in Christ? Focuses on Christ again. For the death He died, He died to sin. He died to sin once for all time. This matches the context here as well because verse 9 says He'll never die again. And if he'll never die again, that means he died once, and he died once forever. He's never going to die again. We see that in verse 9 as well. So both comparing this with Hebrews uh, 7, how Christ is a better high priest because he doesn't have to offer uh, for his own sins, and he doesn't have to offer daily. He offered himself once for all time. This is why we don't have images of him on a cross because he is not on a cross. This isn't how he wants us to picture him on a cross in weakness, in agony. That's not where he's at. Where's he at in Hebrews? He, we sang about it this morning. He's interceding for us at God's right hand in power and great glory, not in weakness. The weakness was short-lived, temporary. He even dies as a victor over sin. And verse 10 says, the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, comparison to the once for all time, the life he lives, he lives to God. So died is past tense. It was once. He died, he died once, back in probably around 80, 29, or 30. But the life he lives, 
That's present tense. That's ongoing. That's continuous. Different than the one time. So what do we see about Christ and how that our salvation is secure because we are in Him? And if we're in Him, we're alive to God. His sure, eternal, or continuous life is what we see in verse 10. We are alive to God in Christ because Christ has died once for all time. Death has no more mastery over Him. And the life He lives now is ongoing and He lives it to God. And if He's living it to God and we're in Him, we are alive to God. So let's see if that's the conclusion he comes to in verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves. All right, here's the conclusion. Consider is the word that we saw before calculating. If you come up with the right numbers in a word problem, and you do the right formula, the right calculation, you come to a very secure, and maybe some math teachers, they have you check your work, they have you show your work, they have you... Go back and, and make sure that you got the right answer. But whenever you do it a couple times and you come up with the same answer and you had the right numbers and you had the right formula, the right equation, when you come up with an answer and you calculated it, you're like, all right, this is it. I'm sure. I'm sure about it. I, I double-checked my work. And on a math test, it's good to double-check your work if you have time. So this is the word, to calculate, to come up with a secure conclusion. That's that word, consider yourself. So you also, you Christians, must consider yourselves. Come to this conclusion, this calculation, based on the facts that you saw in Romans 6. Conclude this, you are dead to sin. And because you're in Christ, you are alive to God. And the only way that we are dead to sin and alive to God is because we are in Christ Jesus. That's it. Sounds simple, doesn't it, when you have the answers to the problems? The answer to being alive to God. Now, Romans 6 is going to continue on how to live because of that, but we're not going to get to that yet. But this is the only right answer. Our sure conclusion is we have died to sin. How have we died to sin? Because we're in Christ, and Christ died to sin. Death no longer has dominion over Him. So if I'm in Christ, I'm dead to sin. I don't have to pick up the phone when I see sin calling. Have caller ID. Like, up. that's an old girlfriend. Don't need to talk to her. Absolutely, you don't need to talk to her. Nothing's going to be good come out of a conversation with her, okay? You don't have to pick up the phone whenever you're tempted. Yes, you have to lust. No, you don't have to lust. You're dead to sin. I have to think this way. No, you don't have to think. I have to say this. I just have to say this. This is my personality. No, it's not your personality. You're dead to sin. You don't get a pass because of any personality. You're dead to sin. Why? Because you're in Christ. Christ has no... Death has no dominion over him. Sin has no dominion over Christ, and you're in Christ. So, you, sin's dominion, mastery over you is done. And because of that, because you're not enslaved to sin anymore, you are alive to God. When God speaks, you can hear him. 
When God calls you, when the Holy Spirit prompts you, you can pick up the phone every time without, oh, I'm going to offend, I'm going to offend sin. It doesn't matter what the girlfriends think. You're married to God. You're in Christ. This is our sure conclusion. But you must consider this. You must come to this conclusion based on this passage of Scripture on your own. I can't come to this conclusion for you. I show you how we got here. But you have to read Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 and come to this conclusion. I'm in a secure position with God because I have trusted in Christ alone. Romans 4. I did not have God before in Romans 1, 2, and 3. I trusted in Christ alone in Romans 4. I see these, sure, I have peace with God. I realize I am in Christ, and I once was in Adam. And I'm so glad that all the benefits of being in Christ are mine, because life's not fair. That's Romans 5. And then, since I am in Christ, I can walk in newness of life. I died to sin. It no longer has dominion over me, and I am very much alive to God. You can say, I am only alive to God. What God wants and matters is the only thing that matters to me. Pleasing Him is my only goal in life. Will you come to this sure conclusion about your secure position in Christ? It affects everything about life as a Christian. Will you be motivated because of your position in Christ to die to sin and be alive to God? Your position is already you've died to sin, but as we see in other books of the Bible like Ephesians and Colossians, we have to mortify, we have to put to death the members of our body, because like a snake that's head is crushed, whose body is still wiggling, sin is crushed in our lives, but its effects are still tempting. We still give in to it, as we'll see in Romans 7. But will you be motivated because of your position in Christ to die to sin and be alive to God? You heard, and I talked with Pastor Ty about First John. I think, do you want to sin. It really comes down to that. If you're really a Christian, you don't want to sin. And if you're not a Christian, you don't care if you sin. Because if you are a Christian, you're dead to sin. You're alive to God. But if you like sin, if you want to sin, if you're looking for ways to cover your sin... I don't know if you're dead to sin. I don't know if you're alive to God. Are you motivated by your position in Christ? If there's no motivation, go back to Romans 1 to 3 and say, I have suppressed the truth in unrighteousness for so many years. I've heard the truth. I've been in a church that has taught me the truth. I've been in relationships where people have challenged me with truth, and I have acted like I agreed with them. But inside, I'm dead to God, and I'm very alive to my sin. 
And for Christians, we are dead to sin and very much alive to God. Finally, what needs to change in your life this week so that your life looks more like Christ and less like the body of sin that Christ purchased? Romans 6 calls it our body of sin. Romans 7 calls it our body of death. What needs to change in your life? Your thought processes are likely back in verse 1. I'll just continue in sin. Grace can abound. Christians can't think that way for very long because this passage will, will smack some sense into you. Okay, You can't come to that conclusion. The only conclusion is you're alive to God and you're dead to sin. It's a secure position. It's a wonderful position. It looks like newness of life. And it's a walk that we learn how to live a life that's dead to sin and alive to God. Some of you may need to look at your friends who are very much tempting you to sin. And their influence in your life needs to be less and less. You may have to separate from friends. You may have to defriend someone who is influencing you to love this world and the things of this world. You may have to look at your life and say that what I've been entertaining myself with is making me want sin and making me dead to God. And it should be opposite for the Christian. There's only one conclusion. We can't continue in sin that grace would abound. And as Christians gathered as God's people, we are going to the best we can. It's imperfect because we all struggle with sin. But if you as a Christian are planning to sin, living in sin, we are going to provoke you to love and good works. Love God and love others. Hate sin. Run from sin. Wherever you're tempted to sin, get rid of that temptation as best as lies within you. Will you look more like Christ this week and less like your body of sin before your salvation? Let's pray. Our Father, thank you that we are dead to sin. And death no longer has dominion over us either. We do not have to sin as Christians because we're in Christ. Thank you so much for Christ being our perfect king and our perfect priest. Help us to rely on him. Thank you so much for his spirit that lives inside of us, that helps us to learn how to live in newness of life, how to, to walk in a way that's different than the world, different than our body of sin. Thank you so much for the godly people in our church that can help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Help us to live faithful lives to you, no matter what position, no matter what sin is around us, help it not to be in us. Help us to walk being very alive to you and your word and your spirit and your church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
with how can it be?